Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. If I were to ask you, how are you doing spiritually today? How would you answer? If I were to ask you, how are you doing spiritually? Really, how are you doing? Some of you might answer, oh, I'm doing good, doing great. You know, I'm loving the Lord and have a great relationship with God. I'm excited about the things of God. You might say, I'm doing great. Some of you might say, well, you know, just if I'm going to be honest, Pastor, not doing so good. You know, struggling with a few things here and there. Some of you might say, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, whatever the case might be, I want you to have an answer in your head. Okay. I want you to, you know, if you need to even write it down, you know. What is your spiritual condition? How are you doing today, right? Doing fine, not so fine, I'm doing great, I'm okay, I'm doing poorly, maybe you even want to put it on a scale of one to ten, I mean, whatever it is, have something in your mind as we get into the message today of how are you doing? So I want you to have an answer. I'll give you Another moment, just think about it if you really need to think about it of, you know, how am I doing? Maybe you've never really thought about it before. But I want you to have something. The follow-up question to the answer that you gave, whatever answer that you have, the follow-up question is, well, how do you know that? Let's say you're saying, you know what, I'm doing great spiritually. The follow-up question is, how do you know that? Why would you say that? Some of you might, think, might, might have been thinking and kind of given the answer, oh, I'm not doing so great. Well, why do you say that? Why do you say, oh, I'm not doing so good? Maybe you're saying, I'm fine. Well, what are the answer or what, what are the reasons why you would give that in your life? We're looking for evidence that points to our current condition. And today we're going to see an indicator in our lives that will help us to gauge how we are doing, and that, of course, is our finances, our finances. So we're actually going to take a test today, okay? It's a pop quiz. I know nobody was ready for this, okay? We have a test today, all right? When you're a student, tests are a bad thing, right? You know, we have a, we have a, are you going through testing season right now? (laughs) You know, we have some students that are going into finals week this week. Oh, they're really, you know, they're, they're busy and they're thinking about it. They might be going into the next couple of weeks, you know, and uh, some people say, oh, you know, my favorite time was going to college and all of that. No, thank you. Okay. I'm done with quizzes, exams. I'm, I'm okay with being done with all of that. But in real life, tests are actually a good thing, right? You want your car to be tested before you drive it, amen? (laughs) Right? You want that airplane that you step into before you go flying across the country, you want to make sure that they tested that airplane and made sure, hey, this airplane's good. It's solid. There's nothing wrong with it. You want it to be tested. You know, we live in earthquake country. You want the buildings and the structures and everything to be tested. So it's good to have tests. It's just that we don't want to be the one tested, right? We want other things to be tested. We don't necessarily want to be the ones being tested, but it is important that we test ourselves. And that is what we are going to do today. We are going to test ourselves. I'm going to give you a four question exam. You are not going to hand it in. You will grade it yourself. Okay, <laughs> I remember when I was in Bible college, they would sometimes the professor would say, oh, I'll let you grade it yourself. I'm like, really? <laughs> we are Bible college students, though. So we better be honest, you know, and uh, this is a case where it's just between you and God. If you have your bulletins, you might want to open it up. You have the four questions that are there. and You might even want to write in your answers. You might want to even put something down of, you know what, I don't know the answer, or I've never even thought about this question. Or you might even write the answer in yourself. But regardless of what you do, this is between you and God. I'm, t- I'm just going to ask you the questions, and you answer the questions honestly, 
just between you and the Lord. So four questions this morning. The first of which is, are you considering your spiritual condition? Are you considering your spiritual condition? In 1999, JFK Jr., John F. Kennedy Jr., died in a plane crash. He was flying a little six-seater airplane from New Jersey to Massachusetts. He was going to go for his cousin's wedding. He had uh, two other passengers with him. There were three of them in the plane. He left at about 8.30 at night and flew out to go to Massachusetts uh, to like the Kennedy compound or something in, in order to attend the wedding of his cousin. Unfortunately, he never made it there. And it was determined later that he crashed uh, because of what they call, I guess, special disorientation. It was dark. I guess it was a little bit maybe cloudy and misty, a little bit difficult. And uh, he had been uh, able to fly based on sight, but not based on reading the instruments of his plane. And I guess when they recovered the black box and you know they discovered the flight pattern he was flying this way and that way and up and down and it seemed like he was not really sure of where he was or where he was going because it was dark he couldn't really see it was not really clear exactly all right where am i and where am i going in part because he was not, I guess, certified, or I don't know the technical term for, being able to fly based on his instruments, right? So when you're in a cockpit, not that you know, I know what a cockpit is you know, sitting in it, but you have all of these instruments in front of you, right? All of these dials, all of these gauges, all of these things that give you information, right? They give you information on things like, how high up are you? It gives you information on things like, how fast are you flying? It gives you all of these different information, and you're supposed to, if you're like flying through a cloud or it's really dark and you can't see anything, you're supposed to be able to look at your instruments and be able to figure out, all right, this is how high I am, this is the direction I'm going, this is how fast I'm flying, all of those sorts of things in order to be able to figure out where you are, where you're going, and if you're on track or not, right? So you have all of these instruments. Spiritually speaking, you also have an instrument panel in front of you with lots of different gauges that give you some information about yourself. Where are you? Where are you going? And are you on track? God gives us a number of instruments or indicators that tell us, all right, where are we? Where are we? What direction are we heading in? And are we on track? One of those instrument panels or one of those indicators is emotions. Your emotions are an indicator of yourself. You're not supposed to be controlled by your emotions, but you should acknowledge them and understand if you have certain emotions, that's telling you something about yourself. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What Paul is writing to the church of Philippi is he's saying, okay, you should have peace. All right? If you're full of fear and anxiety and you're full of those distresses, that's telling you something about yourself. That's telling you something, that there's something off with your spirit here. You should have the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keeping your hearts and your minds. If you're full of anxiety, fear, concerns, worries, that tells you something about yourself. If you're full of anger, you're always angry, always yelling, always getting upset about everything, that's also an indicator that there is something wrong. If you have bitterness in your heart, all of these things are indicators of yourself. You know what? I have an anger problem. That means there's something wrong with my spirit. There's something wrong with my heart. I'm always worrying about everything. There's always something. If it's not money, it's about this thing. If it's not this thing, it's my job. If it's not my job, this relationship I have with somebody. There's always some worry that's going on in your life that's an indicator. Hey, there's something, it tells you something about your spirit. Another indicator that you have is your time. Where do you spend your time? How much time do you spend with the Lord? How much time do you spend at work? 
How much time do you spend with your family? How much time do you spend in service, in ministry, all of these things? Your time is an indicator, and you can just kind of look at your calendar. Just look at your weekly calendar and just look at, all right, how am I doing spiritually? Am I over-investing into my career when, of course, it is the Lord that should be first in my life? Uh, maybe I have too much free time. Maybe I'm not working hard enough. Maybe I should be investing into, you know, if you're a student, into your education or if you're working, you know, maybe I should be working a little bit harder and working a little bit more. And uh, when I'm not working, I'm just on Instagram, just scrolling and scrolling. You're on social media, you're on the internet, just watching video after video after video. And, and, and you look back at the end of your day and wondering, what did I accomplish? You might look at that and say, I don't really know. You know, you might want to take a look at your time and think, all right, how am I doing? How much time am I spending in my different areas? Are they appropriate? Okay, so that's another indicator. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. We should be conscious of our time and use our time well. Another indicator is your words. Your words are an indicator of how you are doing spiritually. The words that you use, the kinds of words, when you use them, are they kind words? Are they cutting down words? Are they building up words? Are they hateful words? Are they happy words? I, all of these things are an indicator of what's in our hearts. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse number 12. The words of a wise, uh, wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. So are the words that we use full of grace? Are we using words of grace? So the words that we use are an indicator of how we're doing spiritually. When you're with your best friends, what kind of conversations do you have? Do you have conversations about the Lord? Do you have conversations that are edifying and uplifting? Or are you always gossiping about, oh, I heard this person over there was doing that. Are you always criticizing? Are you doing this and that? We've got to be careful. And the words that we use are an indicator of ourselves. Another indicator that we have are our relationships. Your relationships. Who is your best friend? And who are the friends that you hang out with? And those that you know that are spiritual. Maybe you have a mentor. Maybe you have somebody that you know loves the Lord. How is your relationship with that individual? First John chapter 4, verse number 20 says, If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? What God is saying is, our relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ is an indicator of ourselves. It is an indicator of, is my relationship with God right or not? If I'm always spending time and my best friends are people who are lost, people who are not serving God, people who are not loving God, that's an indicator of myself. Because if I love God, I will love those that also love God. Amen? <laughs> right? That makes sense, right? Another indicator, your work ethic. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, right? If you get saved, you should have a change of heart. Those that were uh, thieves, they should change their lives to work. Why? Working with his hands the thing which seemeth good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Do you see the emphasis of the heart here, which is, okay, somebody who was before, who was a thief, he's thinking about, what can I take from others to give to myself? But when you are saved and when you live for God, you should not think about what can I get from others to give to myself? What can I take from myself and give to others? I can work, I can make money so that I might have something to be able to give to somebody else. You know what, if I don't work, I'm not making any money, I don't have any money, instead of being able to give, I'm on the receiving end. I have to come and say, hey, can you help me out? Hey, I really need help here. And of course, we understand sometimes there are you know, difficult times, but if you're not working, if you're not laboring, and you're not getting out there, and you're always on the receiving end, instead of thinking, you know what, I want to work in order to be able to give. That's what I think is so important for our young people to understand. I want our young people to do well uh, academically and career-wise and financially, okay? I want all of you that are young 
where you, you might not know what you're going to do with your life. You don't know what your career is going to be. You don't know what kind of job, you know, all of that stuff. I want you to do well. I want you to study hard. I want you to do well academically with the mindset of, I want to be able to give to believers in the church. I want to be able to support a missionary. I want to be able to support uh, the ministries of the church. That ought to be the heart uh, that we have. And so these are some indicators. There's so many other indicators that we might take a look at. And finance is, is one of these indicators. It's a spiritual barometer that tells you in some way, in a limited way, okay, how are we doing? So we're going to take a look at our finances because our finances reveal our choices. They reveal our choices. Verse number 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. So God says, Jesus here says, you can either lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven or you can lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You can do one or the other. And it's important to acknowledge that it is you who has the choice. You have a choice of where to lay up your treasures. Where are you going to put the dollars that you have? And whenever you spend a dollar and wherever it is, you know, you, you just take a look at your life, you take a look at your budget, you take a look at some different things, you can see that, well, it tells me something about myself. Let's think about where you live, okay? Let's say you own a home, you rent a place, think about where you live. You live in a particular place for a reason, right? Some of you live here close to the church. Some of you live a little bit farther. Some of you live in different areas. All of those things tells you something about yourself. So for instance, I live here in, in, in Gardena. I live just a couple streets away. One of the reasons why I live a couple streets away, even though I'm sure I could find other places that are, might be a little bit cheaper, might have the same rent, but be a little bit larger, I'm not really sure, but you know, I'm sure I could find something like that. But I live close to the church because, number one, I work at the church and I come to church here on Sundays. That's important to me, so I want to be close to this place. The other thing is, if I'm close to this place, it means I don't have to drive through traffic. Okay? I don't like traffic. Not just because I don't like it, but because it means that it takes time from my family. It's time that I don't get to spend with my family that I could. Now, I'm fortunate to be able to live here, and those are some of the reasons why I live in the location that I live in. And wherever it is that you live tells you something about what's important. Whether you live here in LA, you could live some other places, right? You, you might have family in different parts of the country. You might have family in different parts of California even. You might have family that is here, and that's why you live here, because of family, or because of you know, the job that you really wanted is here. You know, whatever the case might be, where you live tells you a little bit about what's important to you. Do you really want a big house, or do you want to be close to your work so you have a short commute? You know, all of those things tells you something how much you spend on your car, how much you spend on food, how much you spend on some of these things tells you something about what's important to you. You know, is it important? You know, the, there's a phrase, do you eat to live or do you live to eat, right? You know, some people, they live to eat. They just want to, you know, eat good food and enjoy things. Some people, it's just eating is something that you just got to do. You fill up the gas tank to be able to go do the things you really want to do. And that you could see some of those things in your budget. So our finances, indicates what well, you have a choice every dollar you spend is a choice and that choice reveals a connection in your life verse 21 for where your treasure is there will your heart be also our finances tells us where our heart is so we went back to the question at the very beginning how are you doing spiritually we might ask it another way. Where is your heart? Is your heart in your career? Is your heart with the pleasures of life? Or is your heart with God? Wherever it is, will be revealed in some way with our finances. Our finances reveals what is important to us. 
and where our heart really is. So that's why your finances is important to take a look at where you spend your money in order to see, well, where is my heart? And our finances really reveals with great clarity. Jesus continues in verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. So what Jesus is telling us is this spiritual indicator of finances is very revealing. It's almost like a magnifier on our lives. It tells us what really is important to us because I might have feelings and things that I want to say that I can hide from other people. I might be able to pretend like things are going really well with my pastor, with my brother or sister in Christ. I might be able to pretend all of these things, but the money is the money, right? And the numbers are the numbers. And where you spend your money is where you spent your money. So it's abundantly clear exactly where your heart is in, in some way, it's not a perfect indicator, but this is one of the great indicators that we have of where our heart is. If food is important to us, we'll see it in our finances. If traveling and visiting other countries or visiting other parts of the country are important, we'll see it in our finances. If entertainment is important, we'll see it in our finances. All of these different things. So let's make this practical. And uh, what I have here is a chart, actually two charts. Uh, they're basically the same chart. I don't know if you can read these, but basically it's the same chart. On the left is basically a pie chart based on percentages. On the right is the dollar amounts, okay? So the average U.S. household budget is this, and I think it's based on the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics or something. I don't know exactly how they got these numbers and, and whatever, but the biggest part of the U.S. budget is rent, right? And here in LA, we would say, amen, right? I know that's the truth, right? Rent is huge. So rent, the average US household budget, I guess is 33%. People on average spend 33% of their budget on, uh, on rent or mortgage, okay? And the dollar amount there is just under $1,800, $1,784. The next biggest one is transportation. Right, 15%, people on average spend $819 on transportation. That includes your lease, that includes the payment on your car, that includes gas, that includes insurance, that includes the maintenance and repair, you know, all of that kind of stuff, whatever, whatever it is, all right, that's transportation. Next is food, that's $610, that's groceries, eating out, you know, Starbucks, all of that, that's food. The next one is, uh, I abbreviated this, P-I-S-S and R-P-C, that's personal insurance, your social security, and your retirement plan contributions, right? So if you put something into a 401k, the social security taxes that come out, you pay insurance on different things, that's all there, that's about 600. You have healthcare, that's 431, savings is 335, you know, all of these different things, okay? so. My budget is not categorized like this. I don't, I don't know exactly how they do it, but I have a category that's kids, you know, things that I do for my kids. You know, we're going somewhere for our kids. We're buying things for our kids. You know, we have, we have it budgeted that way. You know, we, we, ours is slightly different. But so you might have a budget like this. First of all, if you don't have a budget, you need to have one. Amen? Okay. If you don't have a budget, you need to have one. All right. If you don't know where your dollars are going, you need to find out where they're going and determine, okay, you know what? We need to cut back here or we could spend a little bit more here. You need to have a budget. You need to lay it out how you're going to do it. But whatever your budget comes out to be, you're going to come up with something like this. Okay. What does that tell us about the average U.S. household? What does that tell us? Honestly, when I first looked at it, I was like, and it just looks like a typical household budget, <laughs> right? It's a household budget, okay? As Christians, though, there's some very revealing things that we could learn about the average U.S. household budget. Now, again, who knows how exactly they cal calculated these numbers. The first question that I have is, where is God in this budget? Where is God in this budget? Now, I'm sure that there are plenty of people that were part of this you know, study or whatever, however they got this, that do give to the Lord in some way. And maybe it just got put in some different category or whatever. But when you look at your budget, you should ask the question, 
where is God in my finances? Do you tithe? Do you give to missions? Do you give to your brothers or sisters in Christ? Do you support the youth group by buying cookies at the fundraiser after the Life Connection class today? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? You know, you should think about things like that. Where is God in my budget? And are there things that are in my budget that shouldn't be there? Now, when I, when I tried to find out exactly where all of these numbers came from, it, it wasn't exactly clear, but I guess when I, there was, there was a category underneath one of these that was like tobacco. You know, there was the average household spending on tobacco. And I thought, that ought not to be there, <laughs> right? We ought not to have that, right? Is there a line item in your, in your budget where you think, well, why, why is that there, right? Is that something that if God were to come in and audit your personal finances, that he would be like, hey, what is this? What is, why, what is, what is, is this an accidental charge? <laughs> right? Or did you really go there? Did you really spend money there? Did you really do that? So our finances will tell us a lot about what's important to us. For instance, again, I have a category that's kids, things that I spend on my kids specifically that tells me you know, that my kids are important. I want to spend money on my kids. I have a category based on, uh, that's called gifts, right? So I have a category based just for the church, tithes, missions, and, and extra. And then I have a gifts category that we budget away in order that we might give to people, family, friends, and others, things like that. So we need to understand that our finances gives us an indication of our spiritual condition. Because if we're not tithing, it's going to show up in our budget, right? If we're not supporting missionaries, it's going to come in our budget. If we're not giving, it's going to come. If we're under, you know, spending on our family, that, that, that's going to show up in our budget. And so our finances tells us something about ourselves. So are you considering your spiritual condition? That's the first question. And I hope that you have an answer for it based on kind of some of the things that we're taking a look at. And it's based on our heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So keep our heart with all diligence, and we cannot do that without managing our finances well. Second question is, are you candid about who has supreme control? Are you being honest about who is in control of your life? When I was in middle school and high school, a huge part of my life was preparing for the SATs. And so that was a big deal. Every college took them, every college required them, and pretty much every student took them. And parents would spend a lot of money preparing their kids to take these SAT exams. And there's two parts. There's English and math. It's changed over the years. But when I took it, it was English and math. Perfect score was 1,600, right? Top score was 800 in math, 800 in, in, in English. And I remember taking the exam. I took it as a junior, and I got my score. I said, that's good, but I could do better. So as a junior, I studied a little bit more. Through the summer, I took a little bit more. In the fall of my senior year, I took the exam again, and I got the exact same score. <laughs> that was so discouraging. I was like, Oh, I just wasted all of this time. What was that for? Okay, never mind, you know? And so I got my score, and anyway, I went to college, and it was all fine. But if you remember the SATs, those of you that took it, you'll remember most of the exam was multiple choice. Remember this? A, B, C, or D. You have different answers. You're supposed to do the calculation in math and then find the answer and then say, ah, the answer is B. Or you're supposed to do different things in English. You're supposed to pick, you know, what did the author mean when he said this? And you're supposed to pick the different ones and you're supposed to do it. Every once in a while, you'll get A, B, C, or D. And the last one will be all of the above. You ever get that? And you're like, I guess it's that because they all sound right to me, right? You ever been there? You're like, that sounds right. I don't know. That one sounds right to you. Man, this one doesn't sound like, but they, I don't know. They all sound right. All right, it's D, all of the above, right? And so sometimes that's the right answer. It is all of the above. But sometimes there is no all of the above answer available for you. You have to pick one of them. You can't just fill in A, B, C, or D. You have to pick, is it A or is it B? 
Is it B or C, or C or D? It's one of them, it's not all of them, because you're not given the choice, all of them. You have, one of them is right. Such is the case with who is in control. You cannot say all of the above. Somebody's in control. Somebody's in control. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon, or money. You cannot serve both God and money. There is no answer of all of the above to, I, you cannot say, I serve God and I serve money. Either you serve God or you serve money. One of them is lesser than the other. You cannot say, I serve God and I serve my career. One of them is more important than the other. One of them is in control. Sometimes it's not static. Maybe today you're doing great, you're serving God. You say, God is in control of my life. But maybe a couple months from now, something will change. Maybe you'll stop reading your Bible. Maybe a big financial crisis will come into your life. And maybe you stop trusting God. And maybe you're like, you know what? I need to work a little bit harder. I got to have a side hustle. I got to do this extra thing. We got to save a little bit. You know, we've been tithing and supporting missions. Maybe we'll cut that out a little bit. And then suddenly some money is in control or something else is in control. And then, and then you realize that's not right. And you repent and then you come back to God. You know, it can ebb and flow. It can come and go. It can change here and there. But we do acknowledge that one of the major idols of Christians is money. This false god of dollars and cents, sometimes even referred to as the almighty dollar. But only God is almighty, amen? amen? Someone is the Lord of your life. So who is it? Now, we're here in church, right? If I were to ask every one of you who is in, in control of your life, probably every one of us verbally would answer, God, right? We would all say, God pastor. Yeah, God is in control of our life. Let's take a look at your budget. Let's take a look at your budget. Let's have God take a look at your budget. You take a look at your budget alone with the Lord and honestly ask, your, ask yourself the question, is God really in control of my life? See, if God wanted to eliminate this line item in my budget, would I be okay with that? If God were to say, I'm spending too much money in this area, would I be okay with that? If God were to take a look at our budget and say, you know what, you're not supporting any missionaries here, you should support something, would we be okay with that? See, our finances can tell us who's really in control. Is God in control? Am I in control? Is my job in control? Is my boss in control? Who's really in control? Who's in control of your life? A lot of Christians go through life without really acknowledging who is in control. And they try to go back and forth on Sunday. Oh, it's all about God. And then Monday through Friday, it's all about money and career and, and, and advancing and all of that kind of stuff. And, and we, we have this kind of two-sided life that can kind of appear. That's the situation that happened when Elijah was living in the land of Israel. He was a prophet in the time when Israel was really struggling spiritually. They were not following God, and a big part of that was their king, King Ahab, led the nation into sin. And God wanted to show the people that sin has consequences, so he sent a famine on the nation. For three and a half years, there was no rain. And at the end of it, Elijah showed up again, went up to Ahab and said, all right, it's time. And he gathered everybody together. The people came, the king came, the prophets came. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt she between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. They couldn't decide. They couldn't say, God, he, he is God. We should follow him. He is the Lord. We should, we should follow him and obey him and serve him. Given the choice between God and money, which will we choose? 
Now, thankfully, most of us probably don't have to decide, right? Evidenced by the fact that we're here on Sunday and you still have your job when you go to church or when you go to your work on Monday, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or whatever your work schedule is, you can still go to work and you, you can still come to church. You could still be a Christian and, and tell others about the Lord. You could still read your Bible. You could still do all of those things. But if you had to decide, which one would you choose? If suddenly your boss called you and said, you got to work on Sunday morning, which would you choose? If suddenly you have a financial crisis in your life, would you sacrifice something else or would you sacrifice your tithes and missions and offerings? Which would you sacrifice? Which would you choose? If you had to choose something, which one would you sacrifice or which one would you give to more? And so our finances is a great way for us to learn who's really in control of my life. Who's in control of your life? I want to remind you all in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse number 18, the Bible says, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. We should remember God. Amen? All right. When the Bible says remember, it doesn't just mean like, oh yeah, I remember, you know, A squared plus B squared is C squared, right? I remember that formula, right? That's not what remember means. Remember means he's always there in my mind. I'm acknowledging God with the decisions that I make. Remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. The ability that you have to make money came from God. Amen? So should God not be the first in our life? Of course he should. So that's the second question. Are you honest? Are you candid about who is in control? All right. The third question. Are you confiding in your Savior's care? Do you trust that God cares for you? Because a lot of people live in fear. Verse number 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? What, what, what Jesus is challenging the people with is, don't you trust God? Don't you trust God that God will take care of you? There's this hymn that I grew up singing called Living by Faith. The chorus goes, living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in his great love. From all harm safe in his sheltering arm, I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. Do you trust that God takes care of you? See, as, as, a, as a human father, I have kids. I want to take care of my kids. I love my kids. I sacrifice for my kids. I provide for my kids. Given the choice between, okay, do I get something or do my kids get something? I give it to my kids, right? And every good father, every good parent, we all do the same thing, right? We all think about, you know what? Maybe both of us can't get something this time. I'm going to give it to my kids, right? And I, le I let my kids have this and I I'll buy something for them and, and I'll hold back personally and, and me and my wife will hold back personally and try to give some things to our kids when we think about vacations. We think about where would our kids like to go? What do our kids like to do? And, and all of those kinds of things. And, and every caring, loving father does that for their kids. We all do the same thing. If you're saved, you are born into the family of God, and God is now your heavenly father. As great as a human father might be, isn't God so much greater? Isn't God so much more loving? Isn't God so much more caring? Isn't God so much more giving? Matthew chapter 7, verse number 9, Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? If your kid comes up to you and says, I'm hungry, here, have this rock, eat this rock, right? Is any parent going to do that? Of course not. If you ask him a fish, will he give him a serpent, right? Oh, I just want a little bit of, I just want a fish. Can I have some fish? Here, eat this, eat this snake, right? What? No parent would do that. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, if we as sinners understand at least that much, how much more shall your heavenly Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? What God is saying is, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me to take care of you? Do you trust me to provide for you? Do you trust that I have something in the storehouses that maybe you don't know about that I could take care of you and provide for you? And our finances are often a place where our fears become real. 
We fear we won't make it to the end of the month. We fear that our retirement won't be how we dreamed it would be. We fear the healthcare costs that, you know, if we get some serious illness, how much it'll cost to, you know, uh, pay for the treatments or things like that. We fear that our kids will fall behind in some way, maybe academically or in their extracurriculars or in their experiences in life. Everybody has a fear and many of those fears manifest themselves in their finances. And so God asks us, where is our faith? Where is our faith? Verse number 26, behold, the fowls of the air, the birds of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Which of you, just by thinking about it, could be taller? And why take ye thought for raiment? Why do you think about the clothes that you're going to wear? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. What he's saying is, hey, have you thought about the birds? They don't, they don't plant, they don't sow, they don't have savings account, they don't have IRAs, they don't have 401ks, they don't have any of these things. And yet God provides for all of them, does he not? Hey, have you thought about the, the flowers that are out there in the field? We, we walk back, you know, past, you know, the, just somebody's lawn. We walk past, you know, some different places. And, and my girls will notice, oh, look, here's a beautiful flower. Look at this. And, and they, they see all of those things. And, and God clothes them in beauty that draws attention. And God says, uh, don't you understand? I care for the plants. How much more would I care for you? Verse 30, wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? You know, what God is saying is, you know, if I could take care of the birds because I care for the birds, and if I could take care of the plants because I, take care of, because I love the plants, couldn't I take care of you because I love you so much more than I care about the birds and the plants? I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. So he asks us, where is our faith? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world. And let's just be honest. If we're in this room, comparatively speaking, we're probably rich. Amen? We're rich. Anybody getting a little hot here in this room? Because we got air conditioning. Isn't that a blessing? That's a huge blessing. That's a recent invention. Oh, we're rich. We got so many clothes. We got all of this food at our, you know, disposal. We're rich. When, when, when the Bible says charge them that are rich in this world, he's not talking about Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates. I think in many ways he's talking to us. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, which leads us to our fruit. Verse 31, Matthew 6, 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall, ye eat? what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Verse 32. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all of these things. What God is saying is, Everybody thinks about these things. There's not a single person alive that's an adult that doesn't think about what are we going to eat today? What are we going to wear today? How are we going to get to work today? Everybody thinks about those things. So that's not different between Christians and non-Christians, those that are saved and those that are... There's no difference that is there. But God is saying there ought to be a difference between the saved and the lost, those that are made light as opposed to darkness, and what God is saying is our fruit ought to be different. Our fruit ought to be different. I don't know much about plants. Some of you know a lot. You can walk past a tree. You can look and see, you know, oh, I can tell this is, you know, people know these different things based on the leaves or the bark or whatever, all these different things. They can tell what kind of plant it is. I can't tell you any of those things. You bring me up to a tree, I'll say it's a tree or it's a plant or it's something, right? I don't really know that much. But one thing I do know is I can tell the difference between an orange and, a, and an apple, okay, right? If you bring me up to a tree, I might not be able to tell you anything about the tree, but if there's an orange hanging off of one of the branches, I'll say, aha, this is an orange tree. How do you know that? Because there's an orange hanging off of it, right? The fruit tells me 
what kind of tree it is, right? I might walk over to the next tree. And maybe I might assume, hey, this tree is next to that tree. It must be an orange tree because look at them. They're right next to each other. But if I look up and I see a different fruit, I'll be like, nope, that one's not an orange tree because that's not an orange. That's an apple. This is an apple tree, right? And you could go down the line and see what's the fruit that comes out. For Christians, we are made different. We have been changed. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen? Amen. All things are become new, including our finances. Amen? Amen? We don't prioritize money the way that the world prioritizes money. Now, we could take some principles and we could take some basics of planning and saving and investing and all of those sorts of things. And, and, and the Bible does talk about some of those practical things. We'll take a look at that in coming weeks. But the point is this. Our fruit ought to be different. Okay? What's the big financial worry today? The big financial worry is things like inflation, right? Right? Isn't everybody afraid of inflation? Gas prices going up, food prices going up, the cost of goods going up, right? You're, you're looking, maybe you're trying to buy something, but the supply chain is kind of interrupting things. As soon as it comes online, you buy it. Why? Because you're afraid. You know what? If I wait six months, it might, it might cost a little bit more, right? So I've been on, the, on that end. I've been thinking about, you know, in the fall, we need to get some new things. And you know what? But things just keep getting more and more expensive. We better buy it today if it's available, right? Everybody sees those things. Everybody fears inflation. But as Christians, can we not acknowledge inflation while also trusting God? Amen? Amen. Don't you know that God knows about inflation? God is not somebody who skipped economics class, right? He knows economics. He knows about inflation. He knows about supply and demand. He knows about what the Federal Reserve is doing. He knows about the government. He knows about all of those things. Not only that, he knows where it's all going, right? Do you remember the phrase transitory inflation? Oh, the inflation is transitory. It'll go up and it'll come back down. And then it kind of didn't happen. And now everybody's wondering, is inflation going to continue? Is it going to come down? Is it going to go up? What's going to happen? Everybody here? We don't know. Did you know God knows? Did you know that? Did you know that God knows and God cares for his children? He knows, you know what? Inflation is going to go up. I know it's going to go up, but I love my kids. I want to make sure I take care of my kids. Now, maybe we do need to do some rebudgeting, amen? Maybe that's one of the ways that God provides for us. Maybe we do already have all of these things. But the point is this, that God, he knows all of these things. He knows what you need. He knows where you are. He knows how much money comes in. He knows how much you spend. And he cares for you. So will we trust him? Will we trust him? The fourth question, the last question is are you continuing in the scripture's call? Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take, care, uh, take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. The first question that people sometimes have is, is God saying that we should never save for tomorrow? Well, of course, that's not the case. And we're going to take a look at what the Bible says. But suffice it to say, that's not what God is saying here. What he's really saying is that you don't need to worry about tomorrow. I'll take care of you tomorrow. And I'll take care of you next week. And I'll take care of you next year. What I'm asking for you is will you seek first the kingdom of God? Are you about your father's business? Are you about the Lord's work? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Can I ask you, what is your priority in life? Is it to retire early? Is it to buy your dream house? Is it to be able to, you know, lease a fancy car? To be able to take all of these vacations, to be able to put your kids into Ivy League schools. What, what is your priority in life? What's your number one goal in life? Jesus says our number one priority ought to be the kingdom of God. We ought to put the Lord's work first. We ought to think about God, how can I be involved in ministry? How can I do these things? 
if we were to ask the average person, what is the number one thing or what's the thing that you know you have to get done that day, most people would say things like, I have to go to work, right? Tomorrow, most of you are probably thinking, I have to go to work or things like, I have to take my kids to school, right? Isn't that the number one thing we're thinking? Whatever I do today, I have to get to work or I have to get this project done. I have to make this thing work or I have to do all of these things. How many of us would say, if, if nothing else happens today, I have to do what God's word says? How many of us would say, I have to get into the word of God today because I have to find out what God wants me to do today. I have to be about the business of my Lord today. We have to think about these things. And what God says is, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if you take care of my things, God says, I will take care of you. I will take care of you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's how we can live in peace. We can live without fear when we understand if I take care of God's things first, if I follow God's word and practical matters regarding finances, God will take care of me. So I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm not worried about next week. I'm not worried about next year. Things might be tight. I might think, you know what? I just don't see it, how I'm going to make it through to the end of the month. But God, you said, if I take care of your things, you will take care of me. Which leads us then to the, the, the uh, verse number 34. Take, no thought, uh, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What God wants us to do is to live fully for God today. Live fully for God today. Put God's things first. Trust God that he will take care of you and all of that will be revealed in your finances. So let's think about this. How did you do on your exam? How did you do on this financial test? Are you considering your spiritual condition? Do you think about how, do my, how does my spiritual condition and my finances, my budget, where I spend my money, how are they related? And what does that tell me about myself? Are you candid about who has supreme control? Who's in control of your life? Who's in control of your finances? Are you confiding in your, in your Savior's care? Do you trust God to take care of you? And lastly, are you continuing in the Scripture's call? Do you follow what God has called you to do as a Christian?